That was lovely. Thank you, choir. Read today two scriptures from one from the Old Testament, which is about idolatry. But pay attention as I talk about where you hear the music come in. Because every time the music comes in, they're asked to bow down in idolatrous praise of the king. And then the second is from the book of Ephesians, which I preached on at length a couple months ago. And you'll hear that as the early church gathered, one of the things that was important for them was to gather in prayer and praise and singing. So, hear this word from the Lord. Daniel 3, the first first 17, 18 verses. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the, the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all of the officers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And when they were standing before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, he, he, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigorn, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical assembly, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trighorn, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical assembly, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical assembly shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So they brought those men before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical instrument, ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace and walked out unscathed from the flames. Then in Ephesians, we hear this. As the early church is gathering together, the author is giving instruction to the people on how to worship and be together in fellowship. And says this, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a great church historian named Phyllis Tickle who says every 500 years Christianity dramatically changes and reinvents itself. We had such an event 500 years ago that means we're about due. And some people think that's fascinating to consider what will happen now that we've about hit that time period in our lives. But 500 years ago, the world was undergoing one of the biggest changes it had ever seen. The greatest institution of all time, the Roman Catholic Church, was being challenged in ways it had never been challenged before, mostly by a bunch of monks. And we must understand that most of these people really didn't ever intend for their rebellion against the church 
to be anything other than transforming of the church. They never intended for there to be another movement that became what we know as the Protestant Reformation. They just wanted the church to stop being corrupt, stop selling indulgences, let priests marry. Stop collecting huge pension funds from the poor who couldn't afford them for priests that lived opulently. And they, became, they began to oppose the rites and rituals of the church, not just for its corruption, but based on the first of the commandments. The church's statues and icons, murals and music all became suspect. Their concern, of course, not for the items themselves, but the danger of those things instead of being aids to our worship, replacing the worship of the one true God. No, it is God we worship, they said, not the objects themselves. Be careful. And so, essentially, they threw out the baby with the bathwater to ensure that worshipers didn't fall into the trap of idolatry. The reformers did things like whitewashed, beautiful artwork and murals. They removed statues and icons. They destroyed music and musical instruments of all sorts. Now, interestingly enough, most all of these reformers were fabulous musicians. Including Luther and Zwingli, who were some of the most zealous in opposing music. Luther had a trained tenor voice. He liked to play his lute and was known for singing in excuse me, for singing in the bars late at night. Luther also, by the way, went to seminary and chose the seminary he went to because he got two pints of beer, not one a day, and a sausage and a half, not just half a sausage. Luther was my kind of guy, really. He was the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. Truly. Zwingli Zwingli played six instruments, including the flute, the harp, the violin, the lute, and the hunting horn. And I want to know what a hunting horn is. It's a precursor to the French horn? Okay, good. It's it's a precursor. I thought a hunting horn was maybe like a duck call. No? Okay, good. Well, I'm glad to know it's an actual legitimate instrument then. There we go. So Zwingli played a lot of instruments. Luther was really into music, and yet they were very, very concerned that music in the church had become an idol. It worried them to no end, and they were pretty much okay with singing, 
but instruments they had no idea what to do with. And the pipe organ, man, that deal had to go. No way did they want a pipe organ in the parish. Even though he was a marvelous musician, Zwingli ordered the dismantling and the destruction of the great organ of Zurich. It was a marvelous instrument. And at its destruction, the organ master wept. These reformers, especially the radical reformers, were so concerned that the scriptures be at the center of the church that anything they couldn't prove within the Bible, they rejected. And they weren't entirely sure about music. And they really didn't like Gregorian chants, by the way. No. They held on to the first of the commandments. Believe that said it all. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Not the church. Not the rites and rituals of the church. Not the money and power that comes with the church. And not even the church's music. Isn't this a heck of a good sermon to get people to give money to an organ? (laughs) Anybody notice this but me? Don't worry. Because like all good stories, there's more to this than meets the eye. Especially Luther, in studying his theology, he came around. He had always appreciated music, and he came to appreciate the pipe organ. Yes, he said, music can be used in just a corrupt fashion as all the other rites and rituals of the church. And yes, idolatry is to be rejected, but the proper use of God-given gifts and talents could have sacred effect to bring people closer to the gospel. The purpose of music in worship is to bring people closer to the gospel. Luther was asked to write a tribute to one of his contemporary symphonies, and he said this, Whether you wish to comfort the sad, to terrify the happy, to encourage the despairing, to humble the proud, to calm the passionate, or to appease those full of hate. And who could number all these masters of the human heart, namely the emotions, the inclinations, and the affections that impel people to evil or good. What more effective means than music could you find? Luther himself said that he did not learn his theology all at once, but he had to search deeper for it. 
And as his theology evolved, so did his opinions of instruments of music, especially the pipe organ. Now understand, in the time of Luther, the way the organ was used was not to accompany singing. The organ would be played fancifully without singing, sort of in performance to a congregation. And even when played in hymns and songs, they would alternate the organ playing and the congregation singing. But Luther came to understand that if the organ was played to accompany singing, to lift up voices, to help people in their song, that that was a key to worship. See, Luther believed passionately that unlike what had been happening in the Roman church for centuries before him, that there should not be any inactive spectators in worship. You should not come into this place and just sit here and expect to receive something, but rather you should be actively engaged in what's happening, including singing. Participation is the key to being part of worship. Now here's what I hear from some of y'all about some of these all. I don't need to sing because we have great music up here. Oh, you see Debbie? Debbie's eyebrows just got this big up over her head. No, this up here is supposed to aid you in singing. The reason that we have these beautiful instruments is to help us in our praise and worship. The idea behind a marvelous organ, and especially the one that we're working to get, because the organ that we're working to get is one that is... to be designed to accompany our singing, to lift up our voices, to help us better in our praise and our prayers. We could get an organ that's a fanciful thing just for performance, right? Yeah. Probably wouldn't cost us any more than the organ we're going to get. That's not what we're after. We're getting an organ that will help stand beside our voices, not overpower them, but not just these voices, these voices. When you come here, come prepared 
to meet God. Come prepared to be surprised by what God has in store for you. Come prepared to participate in the life of the church, the whole life of the church. It's liturgy. It's fellowship. It's prayers. And it's music. Now, we do have professionals up here, and thank God we do. We appreciate each and every one of you and what you do for us each and every week. But they are here to help us worship. Not to replace our voices in worship. To help us worship. Soren Kierkegaard, great Christian philosopher, said that in, we get worship wrong, he said. He said, worship we should understand as God being the object. God is the one we're worshiping. And we who are up here are like cheerleaders to help you who participate in worshiping God. Luther was not ever short on words. You know that about him, I think. And here's what he said. I hope I can get it. I hope it comes back to me. Yeah, here we go. He wrote this great thing. And I want you to hear this. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read the last of it because he's very clear on what happens if you really don't appreciate worship as a Christian in the service. I truly desire that all Christians would love and regard as worthy the lovely gift of music, which is a precious, worthy, and costly treasure given to humankind by God. The riches of music are so excellent and so precious that words fail me whenever I attempt to describe or discuss them. In sum, next to the word of God, and remember, the word of God was paramount to Luther. Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, and our spirits. Our dear fathers and prophets did not desire without reason that music be always used in churches, since we have so many songs and hymns. This precious gift has been given to humans alone that we might remind ourselves that God has created us. God has created us for the express purpose of praising and extolling God. And then he goes on to say, 
person, listen to this, I love this. This is Luther at his best. A person who gives some thought to this and yet does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. Now wait, this is good. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. There it is, folks, straight from Luther's mouth. Get with it or all we're going to have up here are braying asses and grunting hogs. We have an opportunity set before us to repair our instrument, to make it glorious. And we could see that as the best and brightest in all the land, and we could brag to everyone we know that we've got better than you, and we could use it to show off every single Sunday and twice on Friday if we wanted to. But we all know That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it so that we can better glorify God and relate to people and relay to people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is our chance. This is our chance to make a beautiful noise to the Lord and let the music live. Amen.